This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asians to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Kelly Mealy. Kelly is a Chinese-American serial entrepreneur, film producer, and the founder of Wet Paws Media. She established one of the first and more successful tech incubators in Los Angeles in 2011 and was the managing partner at East West Artists, a company under HTC that managed some of the biggest musicians and actors in Asia and America from 2016 to 2019. Now, as a television and film producer, Kelly brings a unique blend of talent management merchandising and IP development. She also recently starred and EP'd in the Netflix hit unscripted series, Bling Empire. Currently, Kelly is in post-production on a thriller feature titled AMP House and in pre-production for Aaron Eckhart's crime drama Afterward. She has five more projects in the pipeline to be shot in 2021 under her new production company, Wet Paws Media. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks, Maggie. Thanks, Ryan. That was an awesome intro. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's because you're so impressive, Kelly. We're Thanks super so excited much. to have you on. Thanks yeah. for having me. I'm, I'm, I've been really excited. I'm a fan of you guys' uh, work as well. So I'm really yeah, excited. I'm super to be excited here. to have you in the show. And you know, congratulations on all your successes. We want to hop right into it. Kelly, tell us about your upbringing and like what led to like the hustle mentality. Okay. Oh, okay. So I was born in China in Kuming. So it's a little bit southern part of uh, China. So I was about nine and a half, ten. We moved to the U.S. because my mom was doing anti-cancer research for UIC. Um, at that time, it was definitely a huge change, just because you know the, there was a language barrier. I had to learn a whole new language, as well as you know, um, we all know the immigrant story. You know, we our first apartment I think was like two hundred fifty dollars a month, wow. and we had to get a roommate at one point. And my mom just worked super hard. She was, um, you know, doing the research during the daytime. She was working two other jobs at nighttime at restaurants and stuff like that, just to make sure that, you know, the bills get paid and um, to reestablish ourselves. Um, my, both my parents were doctors in China, but unfortunately, when you move to the U.S., you have to do your residency all over again. My mom just really didn't have the support, I guess, to do that, right? She wants, she needed to make money to, in order to support us. Um, my dad at the time, he came out you know, his visa was under my mom. So legally he wasn't able to work. And so he did little odd jobs here and there, like washing carpets and stuff like that. After a year, I think as a man, he just like ego kind of got in the way where he just didn't really, you know, you know, he just didn't speak the language. He didn't really have a group of friends here and he didn't really want to work weird jobs. So he ended up going back to China and he just never came back. So my mom and me kind of was, uh, my mom raised me single, single mom. And then um, she just worked really hard and rebuilt herself. Uh, by the time I uh, started going to high school, we moved to a really nice suburb. So I was able to attend, you know, better school. And just from there, she really just established herself. Um, I think that's where I really got my, you know, entrepreneurship mentality from. It's just really my mom. 
Wow, that's your mom is so so strong. And did yes, you yeah. come to LA or did you go somewhere else? My my mom actually still lives in Chicago right now, so I really hope that she moves out to LA soon. Um, you know, I'm I'm uh, finishing my new house right now, so there's a lot more extra rooms for her and my grandma. Um, my mom's been taking care of my grandma by herself for 20 something years. And uh, yeah, she's just, she's amazing. Wow, yeah, a lot of props to your mom. She's definitely super strong. Um, and so back in Chicago, how was it like growing up in Chicago? You know, when your parents had moved to the US, I'm sure it was very hard for them having a language barrier and everything like that. What was your upbringing like in Chicago and how did that shape your Asian identity? Yeah, did it make you more confident in being Asian or because right now, like we want to dive deep into it later, but like the Asian yeah. reputation, the medium part, mm -hmm. must've came from somewhere, you know, and most likely it came from your childhood identity. We want to hear more, more about that. What I really appreciated with my mom was that she, you know, um, she always kept me up with my, you know, with my Chinese culture. We celebrated all the Chinese uh, holidays, but at the same time, the schools that she put me into were not all uh, Asian kids. So my the schools I went to growing up in you know, elementary school, middle school, as well as high school uh, was very diversified. And I think that's why that I'm able to connect with a lot of different people. For me, like growing up, I think my mom also never really um, taught me like, race in a sense where I was just taught to treat everybody the same. So I have friends from all walks of life, all diversity, and doesn't matter like if they're rich or poor. So I think that was also really great. So in my mind, it was funny because I didn't really realize race was a thing. It's I, I don't know if it's, a, it's not really naive or whatever, but I just didn't really realize it's an issue until later on in life, just because I was taught to, you know, treat everybody exactly the same. Um, so, and then, um, but, and, you know, during the weekends, we always, uh, you know, always surround ourselves with a lot of, uh, you know, Chinese and Asian uh, friends. And then, you know, on, during the weekdays, when I went to school, I have my friends who are, you know, who are Indian, who are, uh, who are white, who are Chinese, who are black. So just kind of all diversified. Um, but, you know, and then my, my mom also, she, she uh, for fun, she watches Chinese soap opera. So <laughs> I got really into it with her. And that's also, I think, one of the things that kind of caught me up, uh, kept me up with my Chinese culture as well. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome to hear how connected you are and how you view the world, too. It's like, it's very diverse. And um, so, I, you know, we hear, you know, we, so we looked you up online and we noticed, you know, like, about your hustles and everything. And we understand that we won't dive into like you and your ex-husband. Like we'll let people listen to that in different podcasts. But right now we want to focus on you. Okay. We want to hear about like the first turning point. What was your first hustle like? And how did it lead to like where you are today with your media companies and producing Bling Empire? Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, like how does that all connect together? I'm yeah. curious. Yeah, you're super successful. And we just love to know like where you got, you know, how did you kind of build this grit and hustle mentality? You know, I know you got a lot of from, from your mom and we'd love to know like, you know, the process of building so many companies. Yeah, going from like zero to now, mm -hmm. like what was that entire journey like? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't even know. Like it just, I think, you know, God has a weird way of leading me into things and I'm kind of just here to do his work and, you know, follow the way it's supposed to. Um, I started, I think the hustle mentality really started when I was like, I think at 12, as soon as I was able to babysit. So starting then, I, I think at, by the age of 12, I've never really asked my mom for money. Um, so start babysitting, start working at restaurants. And 
when I turned 18, uh, I got my life insurance license. As soon as I turned 18, like the day after, I went and got my life insurance and health insurance license. And I started working for New York Life. And even during the time I was doing a lot, I was going to school and I was doing that. And I started, uh, I was going to school for finance. So I worked for, I was doing personal uh, banking as well with this bank called Harris Bank. But at the nighttime and in the weekends, I was always still at, you know, working at restaurants and working at nightclubs. So I, cause I, I'm like a social person. So for me, I'm like, if I'm going to be out, I'd rather be making money. Right. <laughs> um, so just one thing led to another, um, by the time I was, uh, you know, I start really, my passionate time was really food and beverage. So I loved, I loved the, the, just the energy and I love, you know, making people happy. So I quit actually my finance job and I actually dropped out of school and I started doing just really focused on food and beverage. Um, I was, uh, I'm, I was, I helped open a bunch of nightclubs and restaurants in Chicago. And then when I came out to LA one time, I, um, experienced boutique hotels. Cause at that time in Chicago, locals didn't really hang out at hotels. Hotels in Chicago were very corporate. It was like Hilton, Hyatt, you know, Marriott, um, they were just, and there weren't any like boutique hotel scene. And then when I came out to LA and then it was like, I think I stayed at the Mondrian, this is years ago when it was all white and there was a sky bar and people were partying, locals were, you know, just having a great time. And I was like, wow, this is what I want to do. So I actually moved, uh, went back to Chicago, packed two bags, wow. uh, moved to LA about two weeks later um, and had no plan in place. Uh, a week later, I got a job um, to open up a uh, two actually uh, just a boutique hotel, but I'll end up doing two hotels for them. Um, and then by the age I was 20, mm, I think 23, I, uh, bought my own restaurant on sunset. Wow. Um, cause I was, you know, at that time was 18 hours a day, seven days a week. I had literally no break. So I was like, why am I doing this for somebody else? You know, I'm like, I need to be doing this for myself. So, um, that was my first business and I sold it about three years later. Um, and then during that time, with the restaurant, I also opened up a private lounge uh, called uh, Jim Morrison's. It was Jim Morrison's old apartment, so it's called the Morrison Room. And it was one of the speakeasy places where, you know, no press, no pictures allowed. Uh, you walk through a dark alley. You have to follow the, the light of Lizard because he's the Lizard King. And find, find this, like, lounge that has beautiful view that looks over sunset that, you know, nobody even knew existed. Um, so that was such a great experience for me, but I was, I was just burnt out. So after I sold my business and that I started getting into tech investment. Um, and then at the time, uh, me and my, my, my ex, um, um, opened, started one of the first incubators in Los Angeles. Um, and we've invested over, you know, a little bit over 30 startup companies mm-hmm. and, um, yeah. And then they're just all really great companies. They're all still doing really well. I'm just really, you know, proud of just seeing how, like, I love seeing business starting off with a seed and just really grow because, and then you grows into this, like, you know, and some of the companies, hopefully they'll go IPO soon and just being able to see their journey. It's, it's a, it's amazing. And be able to support that as well, you know, because mm-hmm. end of the day as entrepreneurs, we, we have to support each other. It's all about collaboration. Um, it's all, you know, it's all teamwork, you know, it takes an army to make a project work. So everybody, you know, have to do their part and everybody has to get the credit that's, you know, due and um, it's a team effort. Um, and then uh, let's see, after that, I uh, I was, uh, I, at the time I would just hang out with a lot of uh, my friends who were entertainment. There were a lot of artists and talents. And um, at that time, everybody wanted their own streetwear line. You know, like this is when Drake's OVO came out, all, everything. So uh, I partnered up with a, a good friend of mine that I've known for 
you know, years. His name is Joey Nagoy. And uh, we end up uh, establishing this company called Grayscale Lab, which we still have today. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started a company, started off by doing um, merchandise um, and brands and products for different celebrities and talents. And we worked with some amazing people. And now as things kind of evolved, um, last year, we kind of really focused on more corporate clients. And then um, last year, uh, you know, when the whole pandemic first started, we were uh, helping hospitals because a lot of hospitals were short of uh, PPE stuff. So we were end up um, actually donating. We were donating a lot. We're overnight shipping stuff to to uh, to New York. And uh, because of our relationship in the import-export business, we somehow just got into it that we supply directly from hospitals to try to cut any of the middle people out. So um, avoid people from price gouging. So that was that part. Oh, and wow. then now with um, the entertainment thing back to, you know, because I have a lot of friends <laughs> entertainment um, and uh, one of my good friend and mentors and partners named Jason Ma, um, he Great. started his oh. West artist. I think, every, I think everybody knows Jason. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Jason at the time was looking for somebody to kind of partner and then run his East West artist just because Jason is so busy. He's, he was traveling all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, me and Jason spoke and then that's how I got into East West artist. And I was there for about two years. And then afterwards I realized, you know, I just really, I want to produce. I'm, I'm a business person. Producing is kind of like, it's kind of like running a business where you're putting different parts together. Um, but you never really get bored because every project, you know, it's its own quote unquote business. And once you're done, you move to your next one kind of thing. So, and then that's one of the things that's my problem. One of the things is that I, I get bored sometimes when I, when I, when I do something, I'm just, I, if I feel like I'm doing something over and over again, I'm like, okay, I need more. I need, I need another challenge. I need a, you know, I need something new. So, um, that's also why, you know, I started producing afterwards. I just, it's just a better fit for me for being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Wow. I, I love that. There's so much to unpack. Like I really want to unpack that because I, there's a similarity, similar story to your story. Any, any, any other successful person we had in the podcast, it's like, they took that risk, you know, they mm. to LA or New York or wherever on a whim and yeah. kind of trusted that things are kind of unfold for them. And it's crazy because when you look back, it makes sense. Like yeah. everything that happens today is because you did this, this, and this, you know, yeah. we're looking you forward to it. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to say like, you are so amazing. You're super multifaceted and I love how you're just like open to take risks and go into different industries and see how you're able to help. And I love, you know, your whole hustle story is just super amazing. I love it. Thank you, thank and thank you. you so much for offering to, you know, just help the hospitals during COVID. That's just so amazing for of you. Anything we have to do, because we have to view the society as, as one, right? Because we have to, you know, unity is what really it's like, I, I'm really hoping that we have more of because people can't, shouldn't look at each other like, this is you, this is me, this is your problem, this is my problem. Because at the end of the day, we're all, we're all human and we're guests on this planet on earth. Yeah. So we had to take care of each other. So I think that's one of the things that, you know, again, I'm just really passionate about is that just let's all come together, share love, unity, share healing, all this stuff. Yeah. So one thing we also have to appreciate is your hustle mentality and your growth mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you keep challenging yourself like what's next, what's next, what's next. Yeah. Because yeah, the thing is that, you know, like let's say with Chicago, if I didn't move out from Chicago and because for me, I'm like, Chicago is always going to be there. My friends are always going to be there. Right. So if things don't work out, the worst comes worse. I'll go back to Chicago, you know, mm-hmm. and same thing with the business, you know, Hey, I've came from nothing. And of course also, you know, don't get me wrong. Like a lot of my business I've done. Yes. We've 
are very we're successful now. I'm really grateful for that. But there's also a lot of dips. Being a true entrepreneur is being able to pick yourself back up again when you're at a down and build again. You know, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people can do it, you know, once or, or something. That's a, you know, when luck and opportunity, everything comes together, you can make it once. But I think the true entrepreneur is ones that who can keeps getting knocked down and keeps coming back up and keep rebuilding. So, um, you know, so I've been, I've lived really, you know, poorly. So for me, I'm like, I've done it. I can do it again. So I want to take the risk and uh, make a difference and build things that's meaningful. Yeah, mm -hmm. amazing. And so as an entrepreneur, I, de I definitely want to talk about Bling Empire a little bit after too. But you know, as we're on the topic of entrepreneurship, I would love to know, you know, if you had any challenges being like a female entrepreneur, um, mm -hmm. especially as an Asian female entrepreneur. And like, if you did, like, how did you overcome those struggles? Mm -hmm. You know, I've always been male dominated industry, you know, from finance to restaurant to tech to entertainment, they're all male dominated industry. I think my big thing is that walking a room, walking a room like yourself and know your value and know your power. Because I think a lot of people, what happens to them is that they project already what other people think of them before they walk in a room. Like, oh my God, I'm gonna be in a boardroom with, you know, uh, these very powerful men who are twice my age, who are, you know, maybe different ethnicity, whatever it is, they're projecting already, oh, they're gonna, what they're gonna see me. They're gonna see me as a tiny little Asian girl who's young, who's blah, blah. You gotta get rid of all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Know your value, walk in like you belong there and talk to them like they're your equal. That's how, also how people will respect you because you can't project that. You can't project what people think of you when you walk in, right? So I think that's one of the things I think that's very important. Yeah, yeah, that's super powerful mm -hmm. for for listeners to hear because that has been our focus for the majority of last year. Mm -hmm. Was like we wanted to focus on female empowerment, female uplifting, female entrepreneurs. Because statistics shows like venture backed females for companies and female entrepreneurs in general has dipped in 2020. You know, mm -hmm. so we just want to listen to you and know that there's other people listening listening to you right now, Kelly, that feel really inspired by your story and your mm -hmm. hustle story. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. And so we'd love to talk about Boeing Empire now. There we go. And how did it all start? Like, take us back. And I know, we know that you um, had produced it. And so we'd love to know. We also like, know that it was a tough process. <laughs> it was, it was, it was definitely very challenging, but it was so fun and rewarding after it was done. Yeah. You know? And Brian and I watched the whole series and we were absolutely in love with it. Um, I think it's, you know, when we watch a trailer, it's hard to see like what exactly is inside the actual series. But when we actually watched it, there's just so much about Asian culture, Asian issues, Asian representation. And we were just really in love with it. And we'd love to know, like, what was that process like? How did the inspiration for Bling Empire start? And, you know, what, what was it like? Yeah, we, uh, are you, yeah, when you post an Asian Hustle Network, I'm like, whoa, like, Cause when we hopped into Zoom initially, you didn't talk about these things. I'm like, what? You <laughs> <laughs> totally caught me by surprise. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I want to hear the origin story about it. Yeah. Okay, great. I mean, it kind of started when I read the book Crazy Rich Asians, you know. And when I read the book, I was like, oh my god, these are all fictional characters of my friends, you know. Even in the book, they mention a lot of real places, you know, that they uh, reference to, and I'm like my real friends, family actually own these places. So, um, you know, start kind of working on this, this idea afterwards and start putting together, you know, start talking to some of my friends and, uh, King was the first person I signed up from the cast, you know, um, you know, of course at the beginning it was a little bit difficult because his parents are very private as they should be. Um, but once we got his 
parents' blessing, you know, things kind of start rolling. Um, and then um, when I obviously when I met Jeff Jenkins and um, Jeff just a, such a veteran in this industry and he's just the best at what he does and being able to partner up with him and he really helped me round the ideal up a little bit more and um, he bought Anna in and he uh, who I absolutely adore but Anna's been friends of him for 10 years he bought Anna in and then Christine I actually have known for over 10 years as well. So the cast kind of just rounded up really nicely. And um, yeah, and I think also because the thing is that, you know, a lot of these Asian projects, we all help each other launch the next one, right? So for us, you know, the really mentality started after when Crazy Rich Asian, the movie did so well. Um, and this whole kind of helped us kickstart our project. And then we're just really hoping that, you know, Bling Empire is going to help kick start another project that's all Asian led just think it's so important to have Asian representation you know in mass media um growing up in the U.S. it was you know it's difficult because you didn't really have anybody to look up to in on television so you know I, I remember when we were like younger I was playing a game it's like it's like which celebrity do you look at do you look like you know and then my friends had all these things all these people to pick from and I'm like Lucy Liu or Lucy Liu? I'm like, I had nobody to pick from, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, so I think also, you know, this, again, being one of the first all Asian-led reality shows, um, just hope that we broke another barrier um, because, you know, there's, there's just genre-wise, you know, like there's now scripted movies, scripted TV series, sitcom, you know, fresh off the boat. Um, but now that, you know, hopefully with reality, we're able to show, showcase the Asian culture and Asian uh, community a little bit more as well. Thank you for that. I mean, I really appreciate the storyline and highlighting the different Asian cultures and diasporas mm -hmm. because we're not a monolith. You know, a lot of people look at Asians like, like you're all Chinese. Mm -hmm. But when yeah. we empires, like there's Vietnamese, there's Korean, there's Chinese. Right. You know, we all, we yeah, we're Asian, but we're all different. And really Absolutely. thank you for highlighting that diversity, not only in, in the entertainment industry, but diversity in the Asian community. Because we're all different from each other, and thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we really hope that you know when we get future seasons, we can really expand on that because we only got eight episodes. So there's so much we can do, and then I just think Asian culture. We just there's so much more we can talk about. Um, so I'm just really hoping that you know other seasons we can just expand the storyline and narratives a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. And I think one thing to to point out is that you know I love how we're all celebrating that there is more Asian representation in media. You know, when Bling Empire came out, we were all super happy that there is more, more Asian representation. But I think that I can speak for everyone that we would love to get to a place where it's normal. You know, it's normalized to have more Asian representation, you know, and I don't know when that's going to be, but I think we're, you know, taking the right steps to get there. Yeah. It's going to be a journey and it's a movement. And then all we can do is just project by project, you know, day by day. And also, you know, one of the things that, it's very important to have, have Asian representation in front of cameras, but as well as back to cameras, you know? So there's a lot of amazing filmmakers, uh, costume designers, um, as well as, you know, like product production designers, all that stuff. So just hope that there's gonna be more in front of camera as well as back to camera. Yeah. We love the, the positive sides to the story, but at the same time, we understand that by running Asian Hustle Network, a lot of people in our community do get discouraged with the answer no. Oh, uh, no, my idea is not good. And just turn away. And we understand that producing the series is not an easy task. I'm pretty sure you heard no a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you kind of highlight that moment where you're like just taking in all those no's and trying to like like navigate that and just still stay strong with your vision? Because it's super important for the audience to hear, especially 
on the younger audience because you know we get discouraged when people tell us no, especially someone who's older and quote unquote more established and powerful. Mm-hmm. And when we hear that, it's like, oh, they're right, maybe they're right. And we doubt ourselves. But we want to hear from you and how do you overcome that in your own experience by producing the show? I actually love the word no, just because for me, I, I think the worst thing is for somebody not answering you back. Like I'm like, nope, perfect that that's not it. Cause then you're, it's, you know, then you know that you're closer to a yes. Right. And then the thing is that again, believe in your project, believe in your vision, believe in your product and just really believe in yourself because you know, like, I think like also the thing with the, you know, with no's that we're, we all get a lot of no's, you know, and the people who are successful are the ones who are not, doesn't get them down. And then just also a little bit with the, you know, I'm a very emotional person because I'm, you know, I'm, that's one thing I've been working on the last couple of years is a lot being more vulnerable, but with business, a lot of time you have to remove the emotion from a word. So um, no, doesn't have to be a negative word. It could just, it could also be a positive word. If you put your emotion to it, to put, take the emotion out of it. Sorry, no, take the emotion <laughs> out of it, <laughs> not to it, but take the emotion out of it. Um, so I think just, yeah, don't get discouraged. Keep going and believe in yourself and you're going to get a yes. And um, no, is just basically a, you know, just close, get you closer to a yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I right. love that. And the gritty part of it is, is what separates any successful person from people who are just dreaming. So I appreciate that. We want to like dive deep into the mental health aspects mm-hmm. of the Asian community. And particularly when we watch Glee Empire, we noticed that you and your boyfriend went to therapy and we really like that breaking the negative connotation of that. And before we kind of dive deep into that, we want to talk a little more about you and Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I just want to add on top of that, like just watching the whole series, just seeing how like your relationship with Andrew had evolved during the whole series. I'm sure you guys, you know, you you guys have been together much longer than you know what we saw during the series, but. I just love like your growth um, while we were watching it. And I love how you're able to be so strong and know when to walk away. Because when, you know, you did see episodes where, you know, Drew did get mad, you know, you were like, I'm just going to step away for a little bit and, you know, let you cool off. And I'm going to come back when we can be able to talk in a like very mature way. And I love like you showing that strength. Um, but like mm-hmm. Ryan said, you know, we'd love to hear your uh, perception on like, couples therapy and how like Asians perceive that because there is like a bad connotation to therapy in a way mm-hmm. but we want to break out of that stereotype yeah. because it does show a lot of strength to go to couples therapy to want to have like a more solid foundation for mother. yeah no absolutely for me you know um I really didn't even I really didn't start exploring therapy till I was in my 30s and I really I, I want to say I really didn't know myself until I start going to therapy. Yeah. Um, therapy works. I think it's so great to get to know yourself more. Um, you know, Drew and I, uh, Paris was filmed the end of 2018. So it's been a while. Um, and after the show wrap, we took about six month break that we literally had no contact. And it wasn't like a plan, like, hey, we're going to get back together. It was like, this is not working out. We're going to just, we're for sure break up. We're, we might never get back together. And that wasn't on the plan. So, you know, during the time my, my assistant was dropping off the dog and vice versa. I'm picking up the dog. So we really didn't have that much contact. Um, and then during that time was when I really started doing therapy myself, individual therapies. And I started reading a lot of books and I realized they're like, I just, I, you know, it's like, it's like you lived with yourself for like 30 plus years. So you're like, you should, you feel like you should know yourself, but like you really didn't start 
digging deeper and peeling off the layers until, um, until again, reading and going to therapy. And also one of the things I kind of realized is that Asian, uh, you know, Asian male and female, especially female, I think has a lot of the uh, similar negative core beliefs because we grew up, you know, with the tiger moms where nothing's good enough, right? So I remember, you know, in school, I was like, mom, I worked so hard. I got a 90 on this test. She's like, why don't you get a hundred? I'm like, but it's the same thing. It's A, you know, she's like, but you know the difference. So just nothing was really happy. So I developed a negative core belief that I was, I'm just never good enough. Doesn't matter what I do, it's never good enough. Um, you know, and also another thing is that just that, you know, in, in Asian culture, we're taught to work really, really hard, but we're never taught how to work really smart. Um, so for me to um, go into therapy and really digging in and realize, you know, I had codependency issues, you know, maybe it wasn't as clear on the show as it was, you know, Drew's codependency issue because he had abandonment issues, but my codependent issues, I, you know, because my, my, uh, my dad left at a young age, I wanted to be in a relationship that I feel needed. I, I needed to be feel needed. If that makes sense. And that's also codependency. So, um, you know, so therapy works and I just really hope pe more people will go to it. Find the right therapist. So, cause, cause there are a lot of options out there, but find the one that, that, um, that gets you. And that's really going to do the work with you that really cares. Um, I think just, yeah, the stigma with the therapy, you know, mental health is, it's bad. And we will love to break that because people think that, you know, in especially Asian culture, think that therapy means something's wrong with you. Therapy means weak. And it's a, you know, we're a very prideful culture. Um, but there's nothing wrong with you at all. Going to therapy is extremely normal. Anybody should go to everybody. I think everybody should go to therapy and, you know, we get trainers for our physical body. Why don't we get therapists for our, you know, mental health as well? So, so yeah, I mean, like you got you and Drew are together still, right? We're still together. Oh, sorry, that I love that story. Sorry, so month, uh, uh, you know, I uh, I think it was like you know I, I don't know how it started. I mean, he maybe I don't know. He was dropping off the dog one day, whatever, and we'll go on. And we'll, we'll take the dog and we'll go on for walks. So just slowly, like, you know, we'll see each other like once a week for an, for 30 minutes an hour when, when we exchange dogs. And then, um, and also I realized a lot of work he was doing. He, he was doing a tremendous amount of work on himself as well. I'm so proud of him, so proud of him. Um, because, you know, anger issue, a lot of that stuff, it, it's, uh, um, you learn it from your childhood. And also your parents learn from, their parents, it kind of goes on because they think that's a normal way of uh, expressing. Because for to him, it uh, in his mind there was nothing wrong. It was just his way of expressing things. Um, so you know him and being able to just completely working on himself and again lots of reading and therapy. Um, you know just just one thing led to another and we're back together. We've been back for I think about it's been about like seven eight months now since we got back together and things are just night and day. And then I just, you know, the other day, as it was like two mornings ago, I was telling him we're still living separately right now. And I think it's, it's, it's for the best. And then eventually we'll move in, move back in together and hopefully build a family. Um, but the other day I was, I was talking to him. I was like, you know, for the first few years of our relationship, my heart always wasn't settled. It always, I always had so much anxiety, always like, don't know what's going to come and don't know what's going to tick and don't know like when the you know next big thing out of nowhere is going to happen where like now I just feel like when I wake up in the morning I feel grounded I feel calm I feel peace and that's just such a beautiful feeling yeah yeah, so, uh, yeah I am cheering for Drew you know <laughs> I cheer him the whole time because 
I mean, I, I'm not sure if I say it in the podcast, but I do resonate some of his anger issues. <laughs> and I, I just think that there's more to that because I think that in Asian culture, like the guys are typically more angry, you know, and, and it's generational trauma. And I'm always cheering for him because it took personally for me a while to like overcome that issue. And nowadays I'm just pretty much a hippie. <laughs> I'm just like really okay. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really cheering for him and I, I really appreciate that you guys are are working things out and cheering for you guys to see each other hopefully in season two you know mm-hmm. I am I'm hoping season two as well and I'm I hope that the audience will be able to see the loving and the caring side of him because you know he really has a he's he has such a pure heart and um, it was just so you know that we weren't able to show see too much of it during season one because yeah during filming we weren't we were going through a difficult time you know personally as well so of course the camera will catch all that stuff um so i'm just hoping season two that we'll be able to see a more round you know um and a caring side of drew um but yeah and also another thing like you mentioned is that you know let's all dig deeper you know like the surface layer Yes, the surface layer is angry and he's blah blah. But let's dig deeper. What what triggered that? What was the, what's the reason he's he's the way he is? And let's mm-hmm. you know do our best and um, be able to help another person, you know, and vice versa. Obviously. Yeah. I guess I'm kind of curious too, and this is from my own personal curiosity. What was it like <laughs> being on set and being filmed about being so vulnerable on camera? Like, were you like some points where you're just like cut cut? I don't mm-hmm. want this on on the air, but. What was it like, like being filmed constantly, talking about your emotions, talking about things that that you're sharing to a really large audience, essentially, Mm -hmm. essentially, you know? Especially your relationship, you know, that type of stuff becomes really personal. Yeah. And a lot of people, they post on social media just the good times about the relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, and you had to be very vulnerable and and talk about the hardships of your relationship. So what was that like as well? Yeah, I actually, there hasn't been a moment where I was like, cut, cut, you know, so um, I think at the beginning, the, the most difficult thing for me was that, you know, I've always been behind the scene. I'm a producer, I'm behind the scene. So for me to switch and be in front of the camera, I have to stay present and like not worry about what's going on behind the scene. Like for me, it's so weird. I'm like, in the corner of my eyes, I will be like, I got to pick that up or like somebody's going to trip on that wire or something like that. That's like, no. <laughs> but then I had to re- completely remove myself and just focus on, you know, being the present and being the moment. And also, you know, with signing up for the show and when we decided, you know, we're going to, cause I originally, I wasn't going to be on camera. I was, it was originally for the show when we pitched, it was always be, I was going to stay behind the camera, but, um, you know, but once I made the commitment to being in front of the camera, um, you know, you, you just, you have to, you just have to be vulnerable, have to let go and have to almost think the camera's not there and right. don't, you can't think about, oh my gosh, 192 countries are going to see this. You just, you just can't, right? Yeah. Um, audience are so smart. They know what's acting. They know what's real. And, you know, I don't want to have, I'm sorry, I'm going to say, I don't want to half-ass anything, right? Yeah. So if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do hundred percent. So, um, you know, at a point that also our crew was, our every single crew member was so great that you just, you forgot, you, you, you just forget, so you forget the camera's there. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. And out of curiosity too, like how has your life changed and your visions changed after Blink Empire came out? Like what kind of, do you notice any subtle differences? Like, oh wow, like people are like recognizing you in the streets and what, what like your life dramatically changed after the show? Um, my schedule definitely got a lot busier, <laughs> you know, I already had a, I already had a really, really busy schedule and I have great staff around me that just, that takes care of a lot of things for me. Otherwise there's no way I can function. Um, but just got a lot busier. Um, as far as people recognizing me, I literally have not been out that much. <laughs> it's funny. I was doing an interview the other day. They were like, 
yeah, how do you find this new like fame and stardom that when you go out, like, I was like, I leave, I only leave my house to walk my dog, like around the block. That's really it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm hoping that when things are, you know, opening up and more and more, and then we're able to just, you know, connect with the, with the fans. I try my best to, you know, as much as I can through, you know, DMs and all that stuff to connect with everybody, just because there's a lot of great stories out there as well. Like a lot of, you know, because of what I showed on, you know, on television, um, a lot of women are opening up to me about their relationships and uh, their problems as well as, you know, we share books with each other, you know, so like, so people would recommend books for me and I'll recommend books for them. And, you know, I just would love to build a community of um, just that we can all heal together and just all share more love together. Um, so yeah, I will, I'm, I'm looking forward to be able to connect with more people once COVID is done. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I definitely think that all of the females had really looked up to you just because, you know, of everything that happened in the series. So thank you so much for being such an inspiration. Um, and so this was recorded uh, before COVID, right? We were very lucky. We wrapped at end of 2019, so uh-huh. before COVID. Um, I just, you know, like, because we love these big parties. We love throwing these part big parties. So um, you know, if it was during COVID, it would have been almost impossible. Brian and I would right? each episode and I'd be like, they have so many parties to go to. And I'm like, I only go to a party like once every couple months. I'm like, I would love Maggie to go to was like, parties. was it like for you? Was that like for you when you live, when you were living in LA? I was like, yeah. Every single day. Yeah. And so I'm, I would love to know like what part was your favorite part in the series? Because mm. you guys had so many events. You guys had like the yoga meetup and the, parties. the shaman that came out. <laughs> Yeah. So just so many events and we'd love to know like what what was your favorite? What was your favorite scene where you're like, ah, oh, that's so fun. Let's yeah. do it again. <laughs> yeah, my favorite scene, it wasn't like let's do it again because I wasn't there, but um my favorite <laughs> favorite scene was when Sheree gave birth. Um I was it was so beautiful, so vulnerable, and um, you know, you just can't get more more vulnerable than you know, giving birth on camera. Um, you know, obviously I've heard that Sheree was giving birth that, you know, I, I've been there for baby showers and all that stuff, but seeing it on television was a whole different experience. Um, that scene, I was literally bawling. I, I don't even, I would just tissue after tissue after tissue. I don't even know. Um, so that was, that's my favorite scene. It's, it's just so beautiful. So beautiful. And mm-hmm. Kelly, what are your goals for 2021? We know that you're working on so many different things and we'd love to know what your goals are. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I just want COVID to be over. I, I miss traveling. Um, you know, one of the things I, 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 I being an entrepreneur and the reason I, I changed my industry from, you know, from restaurants, from other, you know, that I have to be there physically is that being an entrepreneur, I, I love being able to travel, you know, and that's also one of the things that the reason I, um, like producing, I love being on set. I love, I love, cause it's fun. Cause you get to go, go somewhere and stay there for like, you know, a month or two and really learn the local, uh, culture. So for me, 2021, I just really hope COVID is under control and we can get back to traveling and our, our real life and human connection. Um, as far as work goes, you know, just keep building uh, what pause media and really just tell more true stories. And then I think also make be, this year, one of the things I really want to focus on is be a little bit more picky with my projects and my time. Mm-hmm. I want to do things that are meaningful. Um, I don't want to do things just, just cause um, you know, I, I want to do things that are meaningful and then that's, um, that I'm very passionate about. Mm-hmm. I realized a lot of time back then was I tend to do things out of 
courtesy. You know, mm-hmm. I take a lot of courtesy meetings. I do projects out of courtesy because I just want to, I want to help everybody. But at the same time, I'm only, I'm only one person and um, I still like to keep doing that. But at the same time, I need to limit that. And, and then ask myself, is this something I really want to spend, you know, my energy, my time, my resource to, um, and, uh, you know, like you said, pro- every project takes so long. I- I'd rather give that person a no than drag them on for a while. I'm like, okay, sorry, I don't have the time to commit that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, again, just pick projects I'm, I'm passionate about and pick projects that are meaningful to me. Wow, we were so flattered that you were taking the time to be in our podcast. <laughs> no, I'm so happy. <laughs> you know, obviously, I, I, you guys are amazing, by the way. So you guys build such a great community and just, it's a lot of empowerment. It's a lot of like, just, I think, community that are just helping each other. So I, I really appreciate you guys building Asian Hustle Network. Thank oh, you, thank you. Likewise, we can say the same about you. Thank you so, so much for being such an inspiration for a lot of Asians, especially as we're trying to break into more representation in media. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Kelly, we have one last question for you. Okay. And that is, what, what advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur? We want to change it up a bit. What, what advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur that's young and female? <laughs> yes. Turn every failure into a success. Mm-hmm. Make when life gives you lemon, make lemonade. Um, there is a, you know, like you said, there's po- there's positive in everything that happens for you. It happens happens to you. There's, mm-hmm. you know, everything happens for a reason. So again, just look at situations. It's how do I how can I turn a situation, this unfortunate situation, into something positive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, love I it. love it. Very yeah. sound advice. It sounds like that's the advice you've been taking all your life, and it, it's mm-hmm. been working out. <laughs> <laughs> and how can our listeners find out more about you online? Um, I'm really bad at social media. <laughs> so the only social media I'm, I'm able to keep up right now is my Instagram, which is at Kelly Neely. Mm-hmm. I will eventually get on Twitter, which I, I have, and I'll eventually start doing TikTok. And, and I'm, I'm a horrible dancer, so I don't know if people want me to be on TikTok. So <laughs> I'm be saving everybody by not being on it. Um, but yeah, but Instagram is the easiest way to reach me. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, Kelly. It was awesome having you on the show. Thank you, Kelly. You're an inspiration. Appreciate you. Thank you. You guys, been a, it's been a blast. And thank you, guys. Hey, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.